0: This episode is brought to you by Bias Agency Australia.
1: And he came in this Sunday morning and he said, um, I said, G'day, I'm Bob. And he said, yeah, yeah, I've seen you here. Uh, he said, look, have you got any takers for my block of land yet? And I said, Tony, we haven't. Uh, but I made a statement and this is this sentence changed my life. I said you know what, I would love to develop that land.
0: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Bob Anderson, a typical Aussie battler who saw a golden opportunity and grabbed it becoming Australia's property development mastermind. He shares the steps that led him to complete 59 developments in 38 years, how he keeps the passion alive, and how one night was all it took to change his life for the better. Anderson was born and bred in Brisbane, where he had a typical suburban childhood filled with family, friends, and sport. After a quick stint at university and a couple of stops and starts at various jobs, he realized the entrepreneurial spirit within him that set his soul on fire. It wasn't always a smooth ride but once everything clicked into gear, it wasn't long before he was changing his life and those of others.
1: I'm I'm a property developer and I also teach people how to do successful development so I have sort of worked two sides of the fence I guess. Um, I've been a property developer for probably longer than I'd like to admit. Uh, a, little bit over, a little bit over three decades now, but still going. Uh, the passion's still there, so uh, why wouldn't you keep doing it? I'll, I'll be honest with you, um, in, in regards to, to money, it does produce great returns and I've never found anything, uh, at least legal, uh, not that I've looked at much illegal, but I'm not, I've never found anything that makes this much money. Uh, so that's always a driver, I mean, there's a lot more to life than money, but it is consistently good. Uh, but also, when you're doing development, uh, you really do one development that's exactly the same as another. So there's always little twists and turns and different types of projects, different types of properties you can do. And they all have their own challenges and uh, different types, different sizes, different localities, all those sorts of things. So there's plenty of variety. Uh, and the other thing is that uh, you know, about nine years ago, I got involved in the education side as well. So I don't just do property developments, I teach it. And that's opened up a whole new world for me as well. And I meet a lot of great people doing that and I get a lot of job satisfaction. And uh, I'm a, I'm a person that needs to be busy. I'm not a, I'm not a workaholic, um, but I like to keep busy. I like to have a bit of excitement, a bit of variety, a bit of adrenaline in my life. And I find that between doing property developments and t- teaching a lot of people about it, well, that satisfies all of that for me. And as a result... Uh, I keep doing it.
0: Between working on his property developments and teaching the art of it to others, he loves that no two days are ever the same.
1: On any one day, I'd be pushing any projects forward uh, that I happen to be working on because uh, you know, property development, it's really a matter of managing people and managing processes and because those people, you know, architects, town planners, whatever they happen to be, they're integral within the process. So we're always pushing the process forward because time's money, uh, as, it, as it is in anything. And uh, so every day we're trying to progress and push things forward, keep on top of situations, keep people accountable uh, for their work. And so there's always pushing forward on that. And... Also, uh, part of my day would be on the education side as well. It, it could be anything from uh, updating some of the content from our course. It could be uh, even uh, talking to people in my in my mentoring program uh, about projects they're working on. So that's the sort of thing I was talking about before about the variety, which I, I sort of like and need, and which keeps me excited and keeps me going. So yeah, it's it's anything from working on projects to working with people. That's great.
0: While he's always lived close to where he grew up in Brisbane, his work has taken him all over the country.
1: I'm a Queensland it's a Queensland guy, uh, I was born in Brisbane uh, and um, educated in Brisbane. I've actually only lived in, in South East Queensland, I've only actually ever lived in Brisbane and the Gold Coast. Uh, but uh, that said, I've worked in all parts of Australia as well. Uh, and I work in different markets in different localities. So I do get around a lot, I travel a lot and a lot of stuff around Australia, but, but my background is, uh, is pretty much there. So I was born and bred and, and educated in, uh, pretty much in, in Brisbane.
0: Great. And what what did you do for schooling in terms of say like did you go to high school then university to study something down this path or was it completely different?
1: I did I did the normal school system. Well, I was I was in the uh, interesting enough I was in the Catholic school system, which is sort of uh, when you look back had it um, quite quite funny. Like the first four years of my life, I was uh, I went to you know in the Catholic sort of system because my mum was a Catholic and uh, you know I was taught by nuns and that was interesting. Uh, and then later on, I went to uh, Went to an all-boys school uh, to finish my education up to up to year twelve, which is sort of before you went to uni, uh, as well in a, in a private school, and, uh, and that was great. Although I'd, I'd have to say, um, scholastically I was okay, uh, but I was really at school for the sport. To be honest, <laughs> we had a we had a we had a, <laughs> we had a very strong sporting school, and uh, yeah, I think uh, most of my efforts were, were put in there, and with the energy I had left over, I put into academic things. So. Uh, that's the same with lots of things. Uh, look, I did. I did move on after after uh, secondary school. I had a crack at university. Uh, that's about all I did. I uh, I chose a uh, a stream or a course that uh, to this day I still don't. I still don't understand why I did it. To be honest, uh, I, I was reasonably good at physics and chemistry, and uh, somebody got in my ear and sort of pushed me in the direction of. Uh, you know, either like pharmacy or chemistry or something in there. And uh, uh, so I I took on a degree in industrial chemistry, would you believe. uh, But I didn't really, there wasn't much um, career education really when I went through school, not like there is now. And uh, I was sort of just almost gravitated there and ended up university studying organic chemistry, inorganic chemistry, analytical chemistry, maths three, physics, goodness knows what. So the whole point is I had no passion for it at all. Um, I was just sort of led in that direction and I didn't know myself all that well. I mean, I did only just coming out of school often, you know, at that age particularly guys, you know, trying to find our feet and who we are and how we fit into the world. And, and uh, I didn't realise at the time but I, I, I did later that if I don't have a real passion for something, uh, i lose interest really fast. And uh, as, as I did there, so I lost interest in it. I didn't like studying it. I didn't study very well. And... Uh, Come August in year one, it was pretty obvious it was going to happen by November, I was going to fail. Not being one to like uh, failing, I did the next best thing I left. So I can happily say I never failed university. Uh, I withdrew myself from university uh, with the inevitable and, uh, and, uh, and and got out. I've never been back to tertiary education since, which is, uh, which is fine. Uh, I didn't have to. In fact, ironically, these days I often make make a bit of a joke about it. That uh, all the people that were a lot smarter than me and that went on to university and got degrees in architecture and engineering and town planning and you know construction management degrees and all sorts of stuff, they all work for me now. Was it Robert Kiyosaki or somebody who was talking about why do uh, A grade students end up working for C grade students or something, whatever it is? But uh, we need people with degrees.
0: After he left university, he found he was even more lost than before. As he faced uncertainty with his future career being a blank slate in front of him, he turned to the family business.
1: My dad had a spray painting, panel beating business at the time, uh, and uh, during high school, I used to work for him. I learned at an early age, actually, how to uh, how to panel beat cars and paint cars because my dad was a my dad was a great worker. He had a very strong work ethic uh but like so many people he just exchanged time for money and the only way my dad could ever earn more money was to consume more time and he only ever had the skills of a uh basically a uh, a panel beater and spray painter and actually he was also a mechanic he actually had three trades if you believe um but uh as a result he worked very hard he worked long hours to educate his kids put them through private schools you know he had a very strong work ethic very strong family ethic and uh and uh so as a result i used to work with him and i worked with him on weekends when i was going to uni uh same thing i'd 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 go and work for him when i didn't have lectures uh but but when i left um i thought well i've got to get into the workforce now and would you believe i went and joined the public service i just wanted to chill out i'd had enough i'd had so many years of education i just wanted to chill out and i had a few wasted years not that there's anything wrong with uh, people that work in the public service. Of course, we need them. We need we need we need good people there. Um, it's just that I wasn't the right sort of person for those sorts of roles. And uh, because I, I was starting to realise that I had an entrepreneurial spirit, I had a business spirit. I, I wanted to do things, and it took me a little while, admittedly, uh, because of the culture that was there. It took me a little while to actually realise uh, that I, I needed to be out of there. And uh, and what I was going to do, and that took honestly lost a lost a couple of years in there. Um, although I don't know if any years are really lost, I suppose. But
0: having tried both panel beating and public service, he now knew his true calling was to start a business and work for himself. Although property had crossed his mind, development was still a few steps away at this point.
1: Yeah, interestingly enough, uh, the the public service department I worked for, they they were. Uh, they were a public service department that actually generated income. Now, a lot of, a lot of, of course, public service departments don't actually generate income. They, they provide a service, and they do, you know. Uh, but this this particular, I can tell you, this is SGIO, State Government Insurance Office. You can kind of call Suncorp these days. They sort of chopped themselves up. But in those days, they used to uh, had a division or a whole department in there that used to trade shares, and uh, they also had an area in there uh, that was involved in property. And uh, because of the huge amounts of cash they generated out of the insurance business, uh, they used to reinvest a lot of their funds in in big uh, investments, big property investments, uh, uh, city buildings, big hotels, and that. And they also uh, would uh, put money with big developers and developments and that sort of thing. So I had uh, some exposure to that, and that really got me thinking about business and and uh, not so much the share trading part of it, uh, although that was interesting, but mainly the property and uh, I thought, yeah, I can see myself going there, but I didn't quite know how to do it. I knew I had to get out of my job, what I was doing, and uh, I started up a couple of quick cash businesses, Now, uh, would you believe? And uh, I, I started, uh, this is where the entrepreneurial spirit's really coming out, so I was still in the public service, uh, and I decided I had to do something on the weekends to make more money. So I actually, uh, I, I took on window cleaning. Could you believe that? I never cleaned a window in my life, but but I, but I went to a cleaning company that sold equipment. And I said, I want to buy window cleaning equipment. I'll buy everything you've got here for cleaning windows, but I need you to show me how to do it. And, and, and they did. And the guy took me out the front of the shop, they showed me how to clean a window, and I bought everything, and I put some flyers. I'd got some stuff printed off because this was before the internet. And I did letterbox drops around the areas that had high-rise buildings. And all of a sudden, I got more work than I could handle. I was... I was on weekends, I'm cleaning windows and I started to take days off work, I know it's a little bit naughty uh, but I did and I started, all of a sudden like, on a weekend, I'm making more money than I made all week in my day job.
0: After creating admittedly more work than he could handle, you may think Anderson had landed the entrepreneurial position of his dreams. However, his engine was only just revving up.
1: And uh, So I tossed I toss the day job in but all of a sudden, I hadn't filled the job. And then I, uh, as well as that, I started up a lawn mowing business. Can you believe that? And I put, so I bought a, I bought my dad's mower, my dad's trailer, and I put some ads in the paper. Before I knew it, I was rushed with lawns, and because uh, in Queensland in summer the lawns grow every five minutes, and uh, and so I quickly bought a tra- trailer and a mower, and I'm mowing, I'm mowing lawns during the day. I'm doing windows on weekends, and I thought, wait a minute, what about what about the night hours? I need to do something there. And then uh, I went and uh, uh, did a bread run in the early hours of the morning.
0: You really had 24 hours to use up. <laughs>
1: three, three cash businesses. Uh, uh, I had heaps of cash flowing everywhere, but I wasn't getting that sleep. And, and it all came unstuck. Because one night uh, after a mate's 21st, very late, I was uh, actually quite sober at the time, strangely. And uh, on my way home at 20 past four, uh, it all caught up with me. And I, I went to sleep before I got home. I went to sleep behind the wheel. And uh, I hit a bridge head on and uh, made quite a mess of myself. In fact, the police arrived and thought I was dead, but uh, we filled them. So uh, what that did, uh, I won't take too long telling you, but it changed my life. It's the best thing that ever happened to me uh, because what it did, it, it put me on my back and, and it gave me time to slow down and think about my life and where I was going. Uh, those three businesses all came to an end because they totally relied on me exchanging time for money personally. Uh, and I couldn't mow any lawns, I couldn't clean windows, and I couldn't deliver bread, so there I was. Uh, but after feeling sorry for myself for several months uh, and uh, some operations, uh, I started to think about my life and what I was doing. I suddenly started uh, changing my diet. I was reading a lot of health books, um, including Paul Bragg. I got onto i – I didn't turn into a vegetarian, but I was sort of – no such thing as a part-time vegetarian, I realised that. But anyway, cut my meat back. I didn't change my diet. read started to read a few books, some of the old, some of the old great ones, Think and Grow Rich. Which dad poured out and was was later on, but uh, and decided, well, property is it? What am I going to do? And uh, so when I was well enough and I got off crutches, I was on crutches for a year. Uh, I decided to head to the Gold Coast and make my fortune. Well, I thought you go to the Gold Coast to make your fortune. I didn't realise that a lot of people go there to lose it, but um, because I, I, you know, you know, young guy, full of ambition, full of energy, ten foot tall and bulletproof. Uh, and, and doesn't even know what he doesn't know. It's a dangerous combination. But but anyway, uh, there you go. At least I'm there. And I was out of the public service and I was down there.
0: At this point, he knew property was where it was at. And he looked at all the different aspects of property he could. It didn't take him long to pinpoint the developers as the ones who appeared to make the money.
1: It wasn't made of my dad's who was a builder and a developer. He was both. And uh, he gave me some, some good basic knowledge that's a good advice and to kick me off uh, and uh, and that got me going but I couldn't I didn't know how to get into property development uh, there wasn't any direct path not like there is now well first of all there's no internet if you wanted to find out anything you went to a library but um, and I had a look around at courses there's no uni courses there's no TAFE courses the closest thing you could do was be a property valuer and I had a look at that and did that for a couple of months but I can see that wasn't going to get me and I thought well look, I'm just going to have to get a foot in the market somehow. So I took on a job at a real estate agency that was selling land, vacant land. They had about four subdivisions they were marketing, just at the back of the Gold Coast. And uh, and I got myself a job there, and uh, that, that at least gave me a foot into the market. So uh, there I was selling, uh, selling land to people uh, who were then building houses, and then I was selling land to builders who would build houses, and then I would sell their houses. Uh, and so uh, I was pretty entrenched in that. What I discovered is that I, I was actually okay at selling. Um, I'd never sold anything before but I seemed to be okay at it.
0: He surprised himself with how naturally selling came to him as there was an ability he never knew he had. After years of schooling in all boys private schools where he saw himself as shy, suddenly he was a new man.
1: I feel that the being the real estate salesman actually pushed me out there. Uh, I realized that the successful ones are fairly bold, uh, they're good communicators and, and they there's a saying in real estate sales that the follow-up gets the sale. So it was always following up on people, people you've seen, people you've shown property to, keep following up on them uh, and that sort of thing. And that sort of got me out of my out of my comfort zone a bit. Uh, but but uh, it's like anything, you know, you just incrementally get out of your comfort zone and before you know it, what was uncomfortable becomes mundane and... And uh, I did that and found I could sell them and started making some good money. But the passion was was still in the development side. But fortunately in this role, um, I was meeting property developers because we were selling their subdivisions. And so I got to talk to them and I got to have a look at subdivisions being built. And I got to talk to people like uh, the planners and the civil engineers who do a lot of the design and that sort of thing. And, um, And that just sparked my passion even more. And I started to learn some things off these people. Uh, as well. Uh, they, were, they were very kind and they were very generous with their time because they could see the passion in me, I think.
0: While many developers start off as investors, Anderson continues to buck trends and approach things from the other way around. His aha moment that started all has stuck with him every single step of the way.
1: I became an investor a bit later when I started to keep the properties that I actually developed because as a developer, you can get them at raw cost. Uh, but um, I had a watershed moment, actually, and I still talk about it. Or I talk about it to my students because it was something, you know, sometimes in your life something happens. It could be a chance meeting with somebody. It could just be a sentence somebody says that just turns your lights on and, and this is something. I call it a watershed moment. It's called different things, a light bulb moment. I've heard it called. Aha uh-huh moment. Yeah, those sorts of things. It happened to me one Sunday morning uh, when I was in the office, and Sunday mornings were usually a bit quiet. Uh, and <laughs> well, they've usually got a hangover or they're at church. You know, the, the better ones are at church or some are at church with a hangover, I guess. But, uh, but anyway, I, I was on the front, as I call the front desk this day, and I was in, in the office. But about a, uh, about a month before, uh, a fellow had come into the office. Now, prior to this, he'd bought, uh, he bought a parcel of land through our office and uh, he'd gone away and he'd got a development approval to subdivide it into four lots. And uh, for whatever reason, he decided when he got the development approval that he was just going to sell it. He wasn't going to go on and develop it. And so he came in and he listed it with our office. He listed it with one of the other salespeople in our office. You know, about a month later, this Sunday morning, his name was Tony. I remember him. He's a – not that I'd know, but he was he seemed to be an attractive-looking guy. Uh, you know, he sort of had medium-length hair, wavy, uh, drove a good car, dressed well, and I thought, yeah, hey, Tony's a – you know, but he's a pretty successful guy. I mean, that's, that's just the way I summed him up at the time. Well-spoken, you know, well-presented, seemed to have a bit of money. Uh, and he came in this Sunday morning and he said, um, I said, G'day, I'm Bob. And he said, yeah, yeah I've seen you here. Uh, he said, look, have you got any takers for my block of land yet? And I said, Tony, we haven't. Uh, but I made a statement, and this is, this sentence changed my life. I said, you know what? I would love to develop that land. I'd love to buy that block of land off you and develop those four lots. I just don't have enough money. And he said, oh, really? And he started to ask me, like, where did this development thing come from? You're here selling land. You know, where's the, where do you, why do you want to be a developer? Where did all this come from? And I started to tell him, told him about my accident and told him about my passion and so forth. We talked for about 20 minutes, asked me all sorts of things about myself, even private things, you know. Uh, and at the end of it, he said, you know, Bob, he said, I'm going to help you realize your dream. He said, I'm going to actually make it possible for you to do that development. And I said, well, that's great, Tony, but as, as I said, I don't have enough money. And he said, Bob, you don't need enough money. This is where I first learned it. He said, you don't have to have the money. He said, there's ways and means of doing things. And he said, I'm going to show you. And he did actually.
0: Tony then taught him the foundations of what would change his life, a strategy that he's now passing on to his students.
1: And he did what what is now commonly called, in fact, I even teach it, it's a strategy of doing property developments uh, without any of your own money. It's called a vendor finance deal. And he actually showed me how to do it. And normally as a developer, we'd be trying to show a landowner how to do it. He showed me. I didn't realise at the time, I got to know him. He was a very sophisticated property person on the Gold Coast, and he used to amalgamate development sites along the beach at Broad Beach and Surface Paradise and Main Beach. And so he was very au okay fait with property development, using call options, vendor finance, joint ventures, all those sorts of things. And he told me later on, I, I said, why did you do it for me? And he said, you know what? He said, I saw you. Once I really got talking to you, I saw you as I was 15 years earlier. You know, young, full of energy, ten-foot-tall, bulletproof <laughs> sort of guy, dangerous. And he said, and he said, he, and you remind me just of me. And he said, and I actually had somebody those 15 years ago who actually stepped in and helped me. And he said I made a pact with that person that that I would do the same. And uh, sometime when the opportunity arose, and the opportunity arose, when he heard me make that one sentence that changed my life, and he sh- and he showed me how to do it. True to his word, he took me to his bank manager, He helped me organise the finance. I paid him for. Half the, half the land at the beginning out of the out of the 80% loan that I got from the bank and the other 30% I had left over was uh, was enough for me to develop the sites with. So I basically had no money in. I just used the land as security, paid Tony half at the beginning and half when I'd sold the lots. And uh, so I put no money into that deal and did extremely well. And uh, that changed my life. First of all, it, it showed me how to, you could do property developments even if you don't have money, if you're smart and you've got some sort of strategies behind you. Um. But it, it, it also instilled something in me. It gave me a seed, which only came out later on when I also started to do that for other people and showed them how to do things, you know. Sort of, sort of like a payback, I suppose you could call it, but I, but I do it. Pay <laughs> it forward it is, except that I didn't just do it with one person, like like uh, Tony's mentor did it to him and Tony did it for me. I, I do it for, for hundreds of people these days because that's my life and that's what I do a lot of.
0: Anderson's worst investing moment happened while he was still very young with no guidance to draw from. In the days of trial and error and no courses teaching property development, there was more than enough room for error.
1: What I didn't fully understand was markets and market cycles, property cycles. And uh, I had a good run on the Gold Coast for a little while, damn, I was doing okay. I didn't realize how cyclical, first of all, the property markets can be. But also how massively cyclical a market like the Gold Coast can be. Now, I don't think it comes as news to anybody that the Gold Coast can have some very big highs and some big lows, uh, and that's a lot of that's got to do with the fact that it's um, a lot of it's driven by tourism uh, and the hospitality industry. And when that's when tourism's going well, hospitality industry's going well. There's buildings being built and builders get busy, and all those service industries that work off that are doing well, but when it when it doesn't, it just falls into a hole and there's always big oversupplies and it's always done that. It doesn't have a big uh, a big industry base behind it other than mostly tourism, you know. It's, it's, it's gotten a bit better over the years, but it still has those highs and lows. Back in those days, it was massive highs and massive lows. I didn't realise it. And so I'd done a, a subdivision, fortunately not too big a one, uh, and all of a sudden, like, it just hit the wall and I, I couldn't sell it, so I'm incurring debt. Uh, it's very hard. Nobody wanted to buy vacant land, and uh, and what I ended up doing is um, I realised that there were still some sales if you had completed houses, uh, and the and the prices had come back. But uh, I realised if I just sat there, I'd just bleed to death. Uh, I'd just go out the back door, and uh, I'm a, you know because of a like a pretty highly competitive sporting background. Uh, in my earlier days, I, I just, you know, the, the thought of giving up, just, just, uh, I just couldn't fathom that. I couldn't do it. Couldn't roll over. And so, uh, uh, I, I, I scraped together what I could, or borrowed some money, or friends and family, uh, hooked up with a, with a builder, and I started to do some, some, uh, some speckies, little spec, uh, spec houses on the land, one at a time. Would you believe? It took me three, uh, two and a half years to get out of this. But I slowly built houses on the land, and I sold them. And I was actually, because because the market was really flat and I had to sell them cheaper, um, I was was, at least I was getting rid of the land and I was breaking even on the build and getting out of the the land at at virtually not much profit.
0: Although he was able to get out of it eventually, the experience came with its lessons. Have a look at
1: property cycles, get to understand them a bit better. and particularly places like the Gold Coast. Uh, and we've seen some terrible things happen in mining towns and that sort of thing. So it's sort of uh, there. – there is – all I didn't realise at the time, um, there's two markets on places like the Gold Coast as well. There's actually a normal market and there's this sort of tourism market. But I didn't understand that at the time. I didn't understand property cycles. So now that I am a lot more understanding of, of that sort of thing and, uh, and and not just property cycles but markets within markets and micro-markets within cities and how – Different types of product it can be in supply or under supply in the same city close by each other. You know, I've learned a lot since then and, and the road became a lot less rockier. Uh, but that was my, my first big wake-up that, um, I, you know, I was travelling so well I thought, you know, why isn't everybody doing this? I must just be so extra smart. Uh, and it was a bit of a pullback for me. But it's good. It was a good lesson. Uh, you know, made some mistakes I've, I've never made since. In my As I said, my, my road became a lot easier after that.
0: Coming up after the break, Anderson shares the importance of taking things slowly.
1: I didn't build any buildings. I didn't do townhouses for about four years, um, and so I, I got some good. Uh, I got to understand some costing and how to cost subdivisions and how to calculate the yield, which is how many lots of a particular size block of land would produce.
0: The value of knowing all the finer details of a micro market,
1: but what I do is is have a look more locally. So you know. We talk about the Sydney property market, well there's probably 30 different micro markets in Sydney.
0: He reveals the two components behind property development and which one is often short supply.
1: The beautiful thing is that um, if people want to get into property development but they don't have much money, uh, it doesn't matter.
0: And that's up next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. you find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals or what the best strategy is to build a wealth generating portfolio? Well Dragon Dominski can help you while you save time and money. With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyer's agent, he finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. Now he's offering you a no obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405105074 to get your no obligation free 45-minute strategy call. Innocent always knew you could make good money out of a property development. But it wasn't until Tony came along that he realized he could do it with little to none of his own money. While that was the notion that got the ball rolling, the next deal he did was vastly different.
1: So I was pretty hot to trot uh, after my first deal and uh, needless to say because you know now I wasn't 10 foot tall and bulletproof I was, as they say or we better, well, should we made that 3 meters tall and bulletproof. Now I'm 3.3 meters tall and bulletproof. and. Uh, my sister's boyfriend at the time, my sister Lorraine, had a boyfriend called Keith, and Keith was an earth mover. And uh, Keith had a, had a bit of money from his earth moving, and he said, Keith, you did well out of that one, Bob. And I said, yeah, I did pretty well, Keith, hey, pretty smart. And uh, actually, <laughs> well, we, we know the truth now, I didn't. And uh, he said, Bob, I've got some money. He said, Let, how about you go and find a deal, and we'll do it together, I'll put the money in. And I said, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And I did, and I found another deal. And uh, Keith and I did it. Keith put the money in. He put the you know, the equity in, borrowed the rest from the bank, and, um, and did another deal. I, I call that a joint venture with a money partner these days, or an equity partner. Uh, it's very common, very, very common strategy that, that I use in my students' use. Uh, and now I've done two property developments, made some seriously good money, and I haven't put five cents of my own money up yet. And uh, so that gave me the passion. But as I said, I, I sort of pushed on. Uh, and then there was a change in the market which I mentioned just previously. And so that was, the, uh, that was the sort of what I needed to straighten me up a bit and sort me out. I got a little bit too 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 gung-ho, a little bit too big, you know, I still didn't have the knowledge base behind me, you know, I had no education, I had no one to hold my hand nobody I wanted to, you know, ring up and ask questions too and that sort of thing
0: so. While today he provides the education, the property development world when Anderson was starting out looked nothing like it was today. However, he still stands by his earlier views that university isn't the to-be-all and end-all when it comes to education.
1: I'll be honest, um, I have uh, mentored some people who've gone through the uni courses and they, they're great for getting a, a job in the big companies, you know, Mervac and LendLeaf, but as far as actually being really street smart and uh, using a lot of you know creative stuff to make a lot of money, they really don't teach it there. Uh, but it's, but there's, a top, there's a place for everything. you know, For people that want to just go and work for a property development company on a, you know, reasonably good salary, then you know, go and get a degree in property development. But none of that was around then, uh, so it was a fair bit of trial and error. Um, but I, I did, um, I met a couple of good professional people, um, as I said, a town planner, and I was doing subdivisions mainly for about the first four years. That's all I did. I didn't build any buildings. I didn't do townhouses for about four years, um, and so I, I got some good. Uh, I got to understand some costing and how to cost subdivisions and how to calculate the yield, which is how many lots a particular size block of land would produce. And, and I got to understand feasibilities, therefore how to do the numbers, which is critically important. I'm going to make sure it makes a profit. And, and because of my marketing background, I understood that. So I was building up this skill set uh, as well. That because a developer wears wears quite a few hats. You know, as I said before, it's about managing people, managing a process. Um, and so I was building uh, a team of people and I was learning the, learning the process um, to a point where we was becoming quite proficient at it and uh, and you know the, sort of the dangerous part of my career was pretty much over.
0: At that point in time, because you're doing subdivisions and so forth, um, because, probably takes time to sell the land and so forth. Where did you have the cash flow to be able to sustain your living?
1: I kept the real estate job going for for a little while until I finished that second project. Uh, the, the one I did with uh, my sister's boyfriend. So I had um, quite a bit of cash. I don't know what the present day equivalent would be but it'd be um, I don't know, at least the equivalent of a nice new house uh, probably. You know, I don't know what that is. Half a mil maybe. I don't know what the equivalent would be these days. Um, but so, so that certainly sustained me for a while I, while I got to a point where, where I could um, you know draw profits out. But what I also realised is that on some of the projects that I was doing, I was using what we call commercial finance, um, where I was actually able to pay myself a project management fee uh, on my own projects. And so I, was, so I could draw, draw a basic wage, a reasonable wage actually, um, on the way through the development as, as being the project manager of the development, even though it was me, the developer. So a developer can be a project manager. In fact, most developers project manage their own projects. Uh, but, but when using commercial finance, you, know, you can pay yourself that. So, so that, that gave me a you know, good little earn on the way through. Plus I had some capital behind me, which I, I could use as you know as my equity. You know The bank will give you 75 or 80% of what you need, but you've got to put some money in yourself. And that's sort of my profits with what I rolled back into that. Uh, with a little bit to get me through and then, then I started you know, living off, well, I had more than enough to live off my project management fees know quite a, quite a good lifestyle living off them.
0: <laughs> That's really interesting. And what about say um, books or, or stuff that we're talking about now? Have you got any books you could recommend?
1: Some of the old favorites, of course, you know, the old, as I said back in the early days, Think and Grow Rich and Rich Dad, Poor Dad. One that probably um, – was, gave me a bit of a shift in mindset. I mean, I was entrepreneurial, I was brave, um, but you've got to remember that I, I was brought up in a very middle class family. As I said, my dad was a spray painter, panel beater, and he, he worked often spray painted, fixed cars on weekends to earn extra money, you know, to give his kids a good life and holidays and put them through good schools and all that sort of stuff. So, um, but um, and uh, so I didn't, I didn't get any real investment learning from him, so I was either going to come from people I knew or books. Uh, but it was half, half T. Eker's book, The Millionaire Mindset, uh, which actually – great book uh, – which actually uh, made me realise uh, a bit more about mindset. I think I was part of the way there. I didn't have a problem with wealth or money. I didn't feel guilty about the sort of money I was making. And I was was making pretty pretty reasonable money, Uh, but just that whole that whole book really set the tone for me about how wealthy people think differently from average people in in so many ways. You know, there's I can't remember now. There's probably about 20 different uh, extracts that he goes through about what you know, analysing a a wealthy, a, a successful. We know that success is a lot more than just wealth, wealth of course, but, but, but but you know, that sort of view uh, and how they view things and, you know, the, the unsuccessful person views something this way. It's often with a, you know, a, a lack sort of mentality where the other one is, is uh, you know, more of a, an abundant or a surplus sort of mentality. And yeah, that was quite interesting. That's probably the book that, that, that changed my mindset more than any other, in fact.
0: Yeah, I have to say I love that book as well too. When I read that going back at least a couple of years ago, it really changed my mindset as well and rather than asking and this is also Robert Kiyosaki that says this as well rather than asking or saying that you can't do it, ask yourself how you can do it.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah, some of of Donald Trump's books, he's a bit of a controversial character. But they've always been interesting you know uh, as well. In fact, I got got to meet the guy uh, about four years ago. Quite an interesting character. Never, never, never did I dream in my in my wildest dreams that I was talking to the future president of the United States. Anyway, uh, you know, you've probably done the same thing when you've met him. You know, like it's just like I, I would have bet anything almost <laughs> my house if someone had said, you know, you want to bet your house? This guy will or won't become, you know, the future. I, I should have watched the, that episode of The Simpsons. Of course, I would have known. But anyway, there you go.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm a lot of people are referring to. That's hilarious. <laughs> What about mentors after Tony? Did you seek any further mentors to help you with guiding you through the property development process? Because you've obviously become really, really successful in property development since then.
1: I didn't have a, any one particular mentor. I did, although I did we, uh, meet a number of successful people along the way, and I, I took a bit from each of them, you know, uh, and and uh, the. It's an old saying, and in fact, uh, the person that told me this, I'm sure you're not the first person to say it, but uh, uh, very early in the piece, uh, I met a, an Italian builder, builder-developer, and he was a lovely guy. And He used to build apartment blocks, and uh, uh, he was he's, he's like a, a scaled-down version of Harry Triggerboff probably, but not, not, in, not in size. I don't think you can scale Harry down in size, but certainly in, in dollars, you know. And, uh, but he said, you know something, Bob, you never go broke making a profit. And uh, at the time I said, I thought, geez, John, that's like <laughs> it's a bit stupid. Of course, you can't go break making a profit. It took me a little while to think about it. I know what he meant now, of course. Or, well, soon yeah. after that I knew what he meant. Sometimes, you know, you just try and push too hard for too much and sometimes you're better off taking a good deal or a good profit uh, and, you know, and money has a value in time uh, and markets can change and all sorts of stuff, you know. Uh, if there's a good profit and it's looking at the face and it's simple and it's there uh, and you can move on, uh, sometimes you just take that rather than wait for the little bit extra. You know, you wait for that bit extra and anything could happen.
0: Property tends to be a numbers game, but it's important to think about the best logical outcome at the end of the day. While it's nice to achieve the sale price of your dreams, sometimes that extra one dollar in sale price can cost you much more than a dollar.
1: I think it's not being greedy. I think, you know, if you have to see the core, I've seen some people that just get fixated with the number. You know, it could be a property they're selling. I mean, I always see it with people that are selling development sites and I might be looking and buying it. I met a guy once, he wanted a million dollars for his site. It was probably worth close to a mil. Um, But I made some offers lower. But I came to realize that he just had this number in his mind was a million, and and that was it. It, it was the number. And I think what I, I think honestly, I, I did talk to him because I was dealing directly with him. I think he just wanted to be able to tell everybody, his friends and relatives, I sold my block of land for a million bucks. I honestly think I don't think he wanted to say I sold it for nine hundred and seventy-two thousand. I just and he, I, he just became fixated on the million, and so I mean price is only part of it. Because there's other things like terms, conditions, and time, uh, and so I went the other way and uh, um, paid the million, uh, but got a long a long-term settlement with a couple of uh, reasonable conditions in there, and uh, which to me was better than paying 950, which is sort of what I was looking at doing initially, with a short settlement, and uh, that was just an example of somebody. You know, there's a guy just. I think he's just fixated on that number. Nothing was going to move him off that number. But but then, you know, the length. When he got it, he didn't. He didn't really care if he waited. You know, nine months for it. As long as he got the milk. he'd rather get, he'd rather get a million dollars in nine months than get nine hundred and fifty dollars in thirty days.
0: We all have an aspect of ourselves that doesn't lend itself well to success. However, as Anderson discovered, recognizing that area is the first step to addressing it.
1: I think we all have something that maybe we're a little bit weak in. Maybe more than others. And with me, it was procrastination. I came to realise it fairly quickly. I, I would I'd put things off if they were difficult. So what do I do? I sort of half smart. Uh, each, each each morning, I'd do a list of things I wanted to achieve that day. Uh, but what I'd do is I'd say, oh, okay, now well, what's the easy? Oh, this, this is easy. I'll do this. And I and I do all the easy stuff first. And then invariably, what happens at the end of the day, you haven't done everything, and the only thing that's left is the hard stuff, the stuff you didn't want to do. And so that'd go on tomorrow's list. Uh, and so, what I wasn't doing, two things. I wasn't prioritising. I should have worked out every morning what's the most important thing in order of priority and do that. It could be the, it could be the hardest thing I wanted to do all day, but I'd do it, you know, in priority. So, if I didn't get everything done, then it wasn't so important. The other thing is that I learned not to do that every morning. I learned to do it the evening before. And I'd never go to bed. In fact, i still do it. I won't go to bed uh, of an evening unless I've planned the next day. Uh, and all the little things I want to achieve and want to do, uh, and and ideally even try and timeline them.
0: That's a great habit.
1: It's not a yeah, it's it's not a, a, a you know a world revelation. Um, it's just it's just one of the little things, uh, that that I think pays dividends.
0: Properties, or as Anderson calls them, products, come in three types.
1: Typically, I'd be either de- developing land as in, you know, lots of blocks of blocks of land, vacant land, if you like, uh, townhouses or, to some degree, apartments. Uh, so typically it'd be that. Uh, as I said, in the first four years of my developing life, I just did land subdivision, so I was just doing blocks of land and selling it to people who wanted to build and selling it to builders. Uh, and then, I, as I said, I was forced to actually end up putting houses on them to get to get out of a sticky situation. Um, so I, I tend to work capital cities. I don't do a lot of regional uh, and, I, and I generally don't do mining towns at all. Uh, mining towns, you know, you've got to be the f- first in and the first out. Uh, I think there's plenty of casualties out there that have done uh, got, got hurt on mining towns. So I tend to look. I tend to do the higher growth areas. I tend to do all the larger cities, if not capitals, at least at least larger the larger cities, larger regional cities, or, or capital cities. So at the moment, I'm developing in in, in Brisbane. I'm developing in Melbourne. And uh, I'm also looking at a, a developing a retirement village, which is something of a specialty of mine uh, in New South Wales. Uh, so, so, I'm not tied to locality uh, and I'm not tied to any three of those products. Uh, but, but what I do is, is have a look more locally. So, you know, we talk about the Sydney property market. Well, there's probably 30 different micro markets in Sydney and they're all sort of working different cycles different price points and, and so forth so you really if there's one thing you got to do as a property developer it's get to know your local market so you're better off choosing a smaller area could be one or two council areas two or three suburbs whatever it is and become a real expert in that area really understand land values understand let's say uh what, what a townhouse wor- is worth how big they are and uh uh you know, should they be doing two beds or three beds, that sort of thing? Really get to understand the local market. That's what you need to do because probably development's pretty local. It's not you can't just say you know Sydney. I'll develop anywhere in Sydney because there's so many markets and you won't understand all of them at the same time. That's that's a big take. That's uh, where a lot of people go wrong when they start you uh, get what I call your patch and so I do that. Uh, I do develop in the state as well and but I've got good, good connections in the state as well that can feed me a lot of that information and so I'm happy to do any of those three and as I said you know, something like a retirement village is, is pretty special as well but um, it's probably not something someone would start off at. Uh, w- with a lot of my students they start off with uh, just small projects generally. It could be what we call a splitter, it could be. Uh, turning one block into two blocks. It could be just a small subdivision. It could be dropping another house or perhaps a duplex in the backyard of an existing house. Uh, it could be uh, demolishing a house and building, you know, three. Uh, some often they start off with small projects. Some start off with slightly bigger ones, depending on, you know, uh, well, a couple of things, how much money they got. But not only that, uh, they, they could be using one of the strategies I teach where you can do developments with little or no money, in which case the, the size is not so so relevant.
0: While he teaches a whole range of strategies, he gives a rundown of the most common strategy he uses and teaches that can be developed on no money down.
1: The most common one uh, that a lot of my students use is called a a joint venture with a money partner. Uh, I'll keep it pretty simple. Uh, Let's just say that to do a property development, we have to put a certain amount of money down. We call it a deposit in the the development world we call it an equity we've got to put down let's say 20 or 25 percent of our costs in in we've got to put that money in first and the bank will lend us the rest of the money it's not much different from buying a house where we put down pay deposit and the bank lends us the rest of the money On on a development we've got to put some money down and the bank will lend us the rest so it's really all about where does that initial piece of money come from that equity that deposit and the good news is it doesn't have to come from the developer it could be somebody else who has some money and so their role is to put in that initial amount of money and then when that's in there and the bank lends the rest, the developer doesn't have to put the money in, it's somebody else's money.
0: Like any sort of joint venture or anything where you've got two people, it has to be a good win-win for both parties.
1: There's lots of ways of structuring that but that becomes like a basically a type of joint venture and that money could be simply a loan where they get a high interest rate or, or they could in fact become part of the project where they get a... A big chunk of the profits as well so they get their money back at the end and they get a chunk of the profits so it's a good deal both ways like any sort of joint venture or anything where you've got two people uh, it has to be a good win-win for both and uh, there's lots of people out there that that have money that want more than a few percent the bank will give you uh, and there's, they can get some very high returns by putting that capital into a property development uh, they don't have to have the knowledge or anything. They don't have to do any of the work. They just put the money part in. Uh, my student, or you know, I've taught them how to do it. Uh, they put in what I call the smart work, and they make the they find the deal and they make it happen. And so, for the for the developer, uh, they they get a make, let's say fifty percent of the profits and put no money in at all. Uh, for the investor, they might get fifty percent of the profits. They put their money in, get it out and they get it. So it's a win-win. That's a very common strategy. It's the most popular one, but but there's plenty of others. The vendor finance one I talked about earlier. Another one is a joint venture with the landowner. You know, there's, there's, there's lots of them. Uh, but there are, anyway, the, the beautiful thing is that um, if people want to get into property development but they don't have much money, uh, it doesn't matter. What you need is knowledge. And there's, there's two components to do property development. You have to have the knowledge to know what you're doing, but you have to have some money. The bank will give you most of it, but not all of it. Uh, But getting the money, uh, I've got a whole range of strategies for, you know, how you get the money. Um, But the money is not the bit that's in short supply. It's the knowledge. And when you've got the knowledge, you'll attract money like a magnet. And uh, and that's why, uh, you know, these strategies are great because they can get people started straight away. They don't have to save up heaps of money uh, for equity to do a development. They can, in fact, many of my students that are doing uh, like multiple projects. I've got students doing six, eight projects at a time, 30, 40, $50 million worth of projects at a time and they don't have even five cents in, invested in any of those projects and no, they're just using different creative strategies.
0: And that's where the knowledge comes into play and having that education backing behind you is so, so important with property development.
1: Well, you know better than anybody how, how valuable knowledge is and I don't even know how you value it. <laughs> you can't
0: <laughs> It's a bit hard I guess at the end of the day it's if you lost everything you know and you had that knowledge behind you most people would would say that you know it wouldn't be a problem to just rebuild everything all up again because it's that knowledge that you, you have for life.
1: You do it so much faster the second time.
0: Yes, yes, that's what I hear very common.
1: They say in the United States, isn't it, that you don't you don't earn any business respect unless you've been bankrupt two or three times or something.
0: Yeah, I've heard about that too.
1: So far, so good. Maybe, I, maybe I don't deserve any respect.
0: <laughs> well, touch wood that doesn't happen to you, because you know, if you're if you've overcome that, I think you're already very very successful as it is. It's a
1: different stigma in Australia, I think. So it's, it's almost a badge of honour. And,
0: <laughs> and what about say if you met yourself ten years ago, what would you say to him in regards to property development?
1: Well, nothing's changed with how what I think about property development. I think it's 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 still fantastic, but um, I probably um, I may have been a bit a bit quite intense, Um, and probably what I'd say to myself: listen, just loosen up a bit, Bob. You know, relax. Uh, As I say, you know, smell the roses a bit more. Um, You know, you can be very successful in property development. I, I think I used to. Um, I don't know what it was. It was just you know all the energy, the adrenaline, and everything. And I was just that's probably because I was ten years younger. Because uh, uh, you tend to mellow when you get older. You don't know yet, but you do. Uh, but <laughs> oh, it's a, it's a joy and it's a joy ahead of you. Don't worry. Um, and so um, uh, yeah, just probably like just relaxing. You know, do everything right, but just chill, chill a bit more. I think you know that's that's probably uh, you know maybe ten years ago. I was probably uh, a bit more wound up. Uh, but as far as property development goes, I mean, see, 10 years ago, I hadn't quite started my education side of my business, and so I was, I was 100% property development, whereas, and exactly 10 years ago, it was sort of in my mind and I was starting to organise it, but um, I suppose what I didn't know 10 years ago is how much I was going to enjoy it. I suppose I would have said to myself, this thing you're working on now, uh, it's going to be is going, going to be your prime reason for get going in a way. Um, it's going to give you a lot of fulfillment, a lot of happiness. You're going to meet a lot of great people. Uh, so get cracking uh, and get it finished, Bob. The sooner you do that, the better.
0: Anderson recognises everybody has their own opinion when it comes to the various markets around the country and shares his own thoughts and predictions.
1: You can go around the markets, I suppose everybody's got their opinion. Um, Perth, at the moment, as we speak, Perth's not the happiest market in the world. Uh, it's very, it, it, it's very strong on mining, as we know. I and mean, when mining goes a bit soft, It doesn't has he doesn't have the. See, Queensland's strong on mining too, but Queensland falls back a lot on the tourism industry. with Western Australia doesn't have that big tourism base, so they tend to get hurt a bit, you know. Um, but I'll be back into the back into the Perth market. I I think it'll probably bounce around a little bit where it is, maybe for another six months and uh, for more. What I've heard and the people I know over there seem to think you know, it'll slowly re, uh, recover, you know. Adelaide, there's, there's some opportunities still in Adelaide. Adelaide, to me, in property development, it's a market. It's, it, it doesn't have big highs or big lows. It's sort of a steady-as-you-go sort of a market. It's a little bit conservative, perhaps. Um, but I don't mind Adelaide. I never have minded at all. I quite like it. I get there a bit. got some great friends in Adelaide. Uh, and uh, usually end up up the valley somewhere when I go down. Uh, but but the market there, there are a lot of it smaller developments, uh, splitters, you know, dropping duplexes in backyards, uh, small townhouse developments. But I've got some students doing well down there uh, consistently, so that's okay. Melbourne, uh, certainly not a supply of inner city apartments, and that's been coming for a while, not expect, unexpected, um, and particularly in the investment type apartments. Uh, there's been a move away for a while to do owner-occupied apartments. Um, I'm doing a development in Melbourne at the moment, which is a, a an apartment block, a four-storey one. Uh, but that's particularly aimed at owner-occupiers rather than investors. And uh, and so uh, we're just about to start building that now. We've already sold half of it. Um, so I still, I still I always – I love the Melbourne market. It's a pretty strong, steady market, a lot of old money there. Uh it's hard to talk about a whole market, you know, a whole city like that because it's it, there's suburbs and there's you know, the market's big, you know, you know Brighton or, or Melton, you know, like it's still sort of, you know, out of Melbourne and you know, top in Melbourne. Well not quite top in, but you know, so it's, it's it's suburban as well.
0: Is there any sort of specific like um lot sizes or, or land sizes you look for, or is it just based on on the market that you're you're building for? It
1: depends on the size project. If you're just looking to to do a splitter. Then, then really, like, which is, you know, if you're like subdividing one lot into two, then, then really, what you need to know is what is the minimum lot size in that particular zoning. So, so for instance, if the minimum lot size in this particular area in this zoning is 400 square meters, then obviously you're going to need something that's at least 800 before you can subdivide it, uh, and it might need a few other things going its way as well. Um, so, you need to understand that. In a different zoning, um, you know, an 800 meter square lot. Uh, in a two-storey area might mean you could do three townhouses or sometimes four. Um, So it's just a matter of understanding a couple of basic zonings in the area and what you can and can't do. That's the domain of a town planner and uh, also do a degree the architect.
0: He used to sell everything undeveloped as it was mostly on vacant land anyway and then swiftly move on to the next deal. One day, the penny dropped. It took me a
1: little while to realize that as a developer, we've got an enormous advantage over the rest of the pro- rest of the market. We've got a huge advantage over all other investors in in that we we develop property at raw cost, uh, whereas most investors are, are buying at retail price. Uh, you know, and, I mean, certainly there's some distressed sales sometimes, or mortgages in possession, or whatever, you know, whatever it is, and sometimes you can get a great deal. But you know, there's always a million people fighting those days. Uh But for instance, if a if a property was worth uh, you know, $700,000, The townhouse was worth $700,000 when it was finished. As a developer, we're getting it for, what, probably 550. Uh, we're not paying legals and stamp duty on the acquisition because we already own it. Uh, and we're not paying commission on the sale because we're not selling it. So we, it's a huge advantage. And, you know, it's not accidental that property developers have very large property portfolios. And the reason they do is that they're getting property at absolute poor cost. And so as a result, they don't have to keep saving up the deposits all the time like normal people do. You know, most people that buy investments, they need the market to rise so that they can, uh, you know, refinance and harvest their equity and put it down. And it's not always 100% debt, it's not 105%. Whereas as developers, uh, we just keep using our profit as to our deposit. And so we don't have to come up with cash deposits all the time. We just leave our profit in
0: there. Yep. And also awesome on top of that, you're creating equity as well, too, automatically
1: and less debt you know we've we probably got 75 80 percent debt uh whereas someone else has got 100 percent debt or 105 and so they're generally cash flow neutral or cash flow positive in today's interest rates they're brand new they're full depreciation uh there's minimum to no maintenance uh and and uh you know, we could do we could do three townhouses, and the brilliant thing is, what could we do? We could keep three, we could sell three, we could keep one, sell two, keep two, sell one. Yeah, you know, we've got all this uh, flexibility in terms of how we uh, how we treat our sales. Even something as simple as uh, a duplex, we could sell two, keep two, sell one, keep one. There's three opportunities, and uh, the ones we sell gives us cash. We need cash. Cash is king. We need cash to, you know, for all our, our lifestyle, our holidays, our going out, our school fees, whatever. That's the ones we sell. We get cash. The ones we keep, uh, we can keep with no pain uh, and uh, we keep for long – same as any normal investor, we keep it for long-term capital growth. Uh, but the beauty is we got it at raw cost uh, with probably cash flow positive uh, and we can keep, well, as many as we can finance Uh you need some good uh, good finance broker then and you can keep as many as you can keep as I
0: say. He's a big fan of keeping his property as it's a great asset class with a long history and has the ability to live on forever.
1: So there's highs and lows in the middle but it's a long-term play property. So that's okay. The ones, the ones we keep, uh, we put aside uh, and the ones that we sell as our cash. The beautiful thing is uh, you know some people uh, because they're in this negative geared world you know, where they're paying full retail price and probably 105%, including legals and stamps, they're often in negative gearing. And a lot of investors, very sadly, it's, it hurts them. They just get sick of being negative geared, coming up with the money every month. Uh, and as a result, uh, you know, they've got a couple of, and all they ever see is, is that's their life. Because as soon as it starts, the rents go up and, uh, you know, things start to improve, they're encouraged to go and refinance, harvest some work go get another one and keep and stay in the pain until somewhere near retirement age. They, they cash out of some of them, go into a positive cash flow. The beautiful thing about getting properties so cheap as developers, we're in positive cash flow virtually from day one uh, and we don't have to sell. Uh, And and so, what invariably happens is all all the cash we've ever wanted is the ones we sell. The ones that we've kept, we don't have to sell them. Uh, And we've kept them and paid them down over the years uh, because they were never negative geared in the first place and and we got them at raw cost.
0: And they pay for themselves, exactly.
1: So, all that happens is our our kids, the kids of property developers, uh, can't wait for their parents to die so they can in, in, inherit, so that they can inherit these massive property portfolios that the uh, developers have built up because they never had to sell a lot of their stock. It's the ones they keep. Yeah, and they've had a good lifestyle too because
0: you know, that's the ones you sell. And what about your kids, by any chance? No,
1: they're, they're like, no they don't want me to die. I, I, I foil my children by saying, I'm going to live forever. So far, so good. Luke, my son, he's my general manager, so he's, he's in property. But he's in other things as well. You know, uh, he's got a finance, uh, uh, funds management sort of background himself. So uh, he still still does lots of things. That's good. Yeah, my my kids all own. Well, those that are old enough own own, own property, uh, and and they like property
0: yeah, that's good. it's it's good to actually have the kids, it, particularly as your experience passing them down onto the next generation because they value what you that you've done as well to build that up and they know exactly what you've done. so that's that's amazing.
1: That's one of the beautiful things about knowledge, you know we talked about knowledge before. once you once you've attained knowledge, you can pass it on. You can pass it on to friends or relatives, you can pass it on down the line to your children, including the mindset we talked about. I mean, this is the beauty, beauty of it, you know, once you've got this, you can pass it on intergenerational.
0: Absolutely. So, so, what are you most excited about then in your property and development journey or, or property education journey, say, over the next five years? Keep keep it going. Keep doing it.
1: Um, um, yeah, I sort of restructured a lot of it uh, as well as to how I, uh, you know, how I, how I promote my, my products and that sort of thing. It's loosened up a bit of time for me but... um. Yeah, just do more of it. Just uh, I love because I love property so much because I love property development. I mean, I just I, I do my own obviously, and that's exciting. Um, but but I love getting getting involved in, in other people's projects. I mean, how good a job is this? You know, to have, actually have something that you love doing and do it, but then also to get the added benefit of getting involved in helping other people do it, do what you do. That's why I'm not lying on a beach. I've tried it twice, I've got to tell you. I've tried lying on a beach twice, which is another name for pulling the plug and being retired. It just doesn't work for me. No, it doesn't work for me, no. Give me two weeks of that. I think it's all about balance, though. I mean, you, you interview a lot of people, and uh, I think it's a lot about life balance, isn't it? I know how to work hard, and I know how to relax hard, so I got. I think I've sort of got it worked out after, after a few years.
0: Thank you to Bob Anderson, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. Do you find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals or what the best strategy is to build a wealth generating portfolio? Well Dragon Dominski can help you while you save time and money. With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyers agent. He finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. Now he's offering you a no-obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405105074 to get your no-obligation free 45-minute strategy call.